Hey, Oriole fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work uh, with Steve Molesky. I am Brian Eller. Steve, what's going on, man? Hey, Brian, it's been kind of busy to start the year, you may have noticed. I'd say it was a drama-filled week uh, for sure. You know, uh, uh, just to, to recap, we'll, we'll get to the, the the Machado stuff is probably what's 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 leading things off. People are still talking about that, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, I guess just to recap, the Orioles uh, returned from their they had the two three games in Cincinnati, took two out of three from the Reds, uh, and then came back home uh, to face the the Red Sox, which ended up being a very uh, drama-filled series. Took two out of three from the Red Sox, which is great. As we record this, we're they're getting ready to start the the home series against Tampa Bay, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but obviously, Steve, as as much as we want to talk about it or or, or not, um, I think the the whole Manny Machado, Dustin Pedroia, um, Matt Barnes incident is is kind of leading things off. Um, I think one thing we should keep in mind, Steve, is as we're recording this on on, on Monday, so it's still pretty fresh in, in a lot of people's minds and, and and on their tongues. But by the time people actually get a chance to listen to this, a few more days will have passed. So. Uh, you know, I, I certainly think it will we'll have simmered down by then. We'll be on to, to other things, but I think it's still worth mentioning and talking about. Just you were there, Steve, uh, for for you know the Friday night and and and, and Sunday. Just your overall thoughts on well, what happened and, and between right, that Brian, whole situation. Once, um, a lot of when people are listening to this, the Orioles probably would already have started the series with Tampa, and I think it's it'll get in the rearview mirror, and the Orioles will probably be delighted for that, but. So Manny slid a little late, and I think part of that was Pedroia was catching a throw on the left field side of second. It wasn't your standard 6-4-3 double play. It was a slowly hit ball. And when the ball is hit, you know, in a batter's mind, you're not thinking, well, they can't turn two, so I don't have to go hard here. You, you play the game hard. You go hard. It's a close game. So he went hard in the second. As people could see, I think, if they're objective about it, he – these are two players who like each other. They have a friendship. And Manny instantly thought, uh-oh, did I hurt him? And he tried to reach out and hold and grab a hold of him and went off the base to do it. So that was pretty, you know, if you're going to try to hurt somebody or you have bad intentions, you're not, your immediate reaction is not what Machado's was. And he did hurt Pedroia, but as Pedroia has since said, it was not intentional. It was baseball. It was a hard slide. And sometimes a hard slide can lead to an unintended injury. So that should have been the end of it. And from my take, reading Pedroia, he's the guy you read here. He's the star player. He's the injured player. He's the one most involved. He wasn't upset about it or didn't seem to me to want his team to continue to make an issue about it. But there were a few select reporters who continued to on the Boston side, and John Farrell I'm told from reporters who were there, just seemed to constantly be angry about it. So that leads us to Sunday. And there, I know Mike Bordick on the telecast thought Eduardo Rodriguez threw at Manny, and Manny didn't think so when he was asked. And then, of course, what happened with Barnes? So no one can get in Matt Barnes' head to know his 100% intentions, but it looked terrible. It was head high. It was 90 miles an hour. It was extremely dangerous. And in my opinion, it was very unnecessary. And then we all saw the post-game comments uh, after. And uh, you hope the teams can move on. They, they would have been able to easily move on if Boston had just taken the high road. And, I, and I, when I say Boston, I don't include everybody because I think Pedroia was ready to take the high road. But there was a disconnect somewhere, Brian, <clears throat> because not everyone got that message apparently. Yeah, I think starting with, with Friday's slide, I mean – the. I, 
just based, based off of comments I was reading on Twitter and, and from Boston fans in particular, they were talking about, you know, the phrase was spikes up. You know, going with spikes up is never okay. But I, I don't think, I think if you watch the play closely, Machado didn't didn't come in with spikes up. That's a totally different thing. He, you know, he, he the bag almost sort of took his foot and, you know, up, which of course, yeah, spikes are on the bottom of the, of the cleats there. And like you said, Pedroia actually had to stretch to, to make that grab at second base. He was sort of, he would tell you he was at a position, uh, you know, for what he's used to and obviously leaving his, his leg exposed. And it, like you said, as soon as Machado realized he made contact with Pedroia, he seemed to really kind of, it's almost like when you're, you're, you were roughhousing with a sibling, you know, at a younger age and you realize somebody actually goes a little too far and they're like, oh, oh, are you okay? You know, and, and all, it all stops there. But Machado definitely tried to make sure that Pedroia seemed to be okay with it. And like you said, there were, I think in Pedroia's mind, it was a good, you know, a clean play, unfortunate results. That was the end of it, a hard fought game. Uh, but they, the Red Sox, uh, Matt Barnes, with the retaliation Sunday. I, I think, Steve, I, kind of a different take there. The one thing I was really impressed with was Manny Machado's reaction to that whole incident, how he didn't get ejected, he did, he's, he's not going to be suspended. He really just kind of, you know, he, he did the glare at the Red Sox dugout on Sunday, which was was certainly deserved. And, hey, if you want to do a stare down, okay, that that that's fine. I understand that's, that's a... a Taking a, a pitch near the head area is is, uh, is no laughing matter. But he took his base. The Orioles continued on. Unfortunately, dropped that game. But um, I was really impressed to see that from Machado, who, hey, if we're being in all honesty, he's had some some incidents in the past. He- I wrote about that this morning. He showed maturity, um, and he he's uh, shown great maturity. I think from you know you can go back to three major incidents i guess here for the bat throwing uh you know Yadonna Venturi when he charged right. the mound and this one <clears throat> and he just handled this in my opinion the best of the three uh this is twice he had to stand at his locker and answer a lot of questions is very calm explains his side he didn't get angry at any question uh he reacted well on the field uh he reacted like a pro and so um, you know, when players are young, they make mistakes, but he did not make the same mistake this time. And that is growth in Manny. And he, even yesterday, in the middle of all this, he called himself out for not hitting much so far. And so uh, that's growth and that's maturity. And I think if you're an Oriole fan who already probably loves Manny, you're, you're, you're pleased to see that. And, and that can only bode well for him for the future. And so you hope for his sake, none of this you know, follows him anymore, and he can just go play baseball, and we know he'll hit for this team, obviously. Um, any speculation on what the punishment for Barnes will be? I know there's always conjecture of, oh, he should be suspended for X amount of games. Again, we've we've talked before how especially suspensions for, for pitchers is a little different based on schedules, but just, just to guess uh, from what you saw in the situation, what might be coming down Hard for, to know. for him. I mean, I'd be better to guess if I had all the precedents in front of me, and which I haven't taken time to review that. And if you're the MLB office, um, you have to get in someone's head here, and that's hard to, to, to put, you know, post a punishment without really knowing uh, the 100% intent. And, Brian, there have been pitchers who tried to throw the ball low and away, and it went at someone's head because they missed their spot that badly. That does happen. Right. But you have to look at the situation, which I'm sure MLB will. 6 nothing game, the, the you know young pitcher maybe lost his head momentarily or just didn't do the right thing. Um, you know, the Red Sox coasting to a win. If there was going to be a purpose pitch, that was the time. Yeah, a little too coincidental. Yeah. He'll he'll probably get something out of this suspension, sure. suspension-wise. 
Um, as we look at the schedule, the Orioles face the Red Sox pretty soon. They travel to Boston for a four-game series on the 1st of May. Um, the next time Boston comes to Camden Yards is not till uh, the 1st of June uh, uh, for another four-game series. I, I'm kind of with you, Steve. I know reading your comments and everything, I think by the time, even by May 1st, when these two teams meet again, there'll be so many other things that have happened that this is not a, a story. Uh, they're just going to move on. And it's as a lot of the Oriole players said, and I'm sure some of the Red Sox said too, what's more important is actually beating these guys in the box score, not not not, not beating these guys up physically because these two teams are going to be in a dogfight along with uh, you know the rest of the division. Um, it's so cutthroat and so competitive that the main focus will be you know winning that division. Exactly. And, and just to sum up this whole thing, what happens when you have something emotional between rivals like this is you get overreactions and you get a lack of understanding of some things that happen in baseball. And I'll include media in that because we, it, you know, this is an incident you don't cover every day. And you don't, we don't know all the protocol. We think we have some experience and we've seen some of this before. But sometimes you're not sure exactly what uh, the unwritten rules should call for or how a player should feel or should say. So emotions run high. And going back to what you said, anyone saying that, anyone in spikes high, uh, it's just, just wrong. All, first of all, Brian, he, his, his feet hit the ground and popped up, as you stated. Secondly, if he had gone in spikes high, everybody in the Boston clubhouse would have had a right to be totally ticked, and he would have gotten drilled on the first pitch the next day. So let's just put that to rest. If he had gone in spikes high, as some people are calling it, who have totally missed the boat, Manny would have been drilled. It would have been right to drill him, and every player in Boston would have been speaking out about it. And none of that happened, so I think we have our answer. Absolutely, uh, and I'm I'm excited to, to kind of get past it and see where where the Orioles go from here. Um, uh, you know, outside of that little drama, it was actually a, a very decent week for the Orioles. Um, as we said, they had their three-game series in Cincinnati. They dropped the opener. Uh, Kevin Gosman uh, struggling. We'll get to him just a, a little bit, um, but the Orioles ended up taking. The, the next two, which uh, two positives coming out of that series. I always like to see the Orioles get wins on the road, especially because, like I said, it, it's they've had a good home record uh, for the past several years, but on the road is where they really kind of uh, come back to earth, which you could say about a lot of teams. But it's nice. it was nice to kind of see them on the road trip uh, going 6-3 and three, and especially getting those those two wins against a, a decent Cincinnati Reds team. Um you know, to, to really finalize that road trip, and especially the way they won uh, those close – uh, two nothing on Wednesday, two one in, in extras on Thursday. Those close games. I don't care that it's only April. I like if I if I'm looking for a team that is has good makeup. It's those teams that can grit out those those close one run games. Um, especially when when maybe an offense is, isn't generating enough or the pitching's having trouble. Those one run games are really what I like to see. Well, they're they're, they're a good team of winning close games and. <clears throat> We're going to start reading articles, Brian, from Fangraphs and, and the national guys saying this is unsustainable. Uh, and that we read this for months in 2012. Right. And frankly, a 10-1 start in games decided by two runs or less is extremely likely to be unsustainable. It's hard to win 90-some percent of those games, which the Orioles have done. So they'll start to lose a few. It's, it's, it seems that it would happen. But over six months, Brian, I think they will win a very high percentage. And if they win more of those than their opponents, and I think they have a great chance to do that, the teams they're competing with, say, in the East, it will bode well because they have a bullpen, because they have some guys who occasionally get clutch hitch, 
because they have guys who in the eighth inning of a tie game will run into a fastball and hit a game-winning homer, they'll pull out some of these close and late games, and they'll be incredibly meaningful because a lot of the games are going to be close. I mean, it's not many nights. The final score is 8-3. to three. There are some, but there's very often you see 5-3, to 4-3, three, 3-1, to, three, three to one, and uh, nice to be able to win those. Certainly. Um, I guess uh, when you look at the – the three games in Cincinnati, or the just the, the week we've had from the starting rotation. Um, I'd ask you, Steve, who impressed you a little bit more? Was it Dylan Bundy continuing to, to show that, hey, you know, the, the term ace is not out of the question for him? Or was it Ubaldo really uh, kind of right in the ship a little bit, which was, was very fortunate to see and, and hopefully hopefully sustainable in, in, his, in his aspects? Well, I'm more impressed with Bundy because he's done it every time out pretty much, and Ubaldo's only had one good outing, and we, we hope they'll have more, and we know he's inconsistent, and he's likely to be inconsistent because it's been three years of this. So mm-hmm. I don't think we can just expect Ubaldo to go on a 10-start role here. Uh, it would be great, and the club would really benefit, but it sure. uh, seems unlikely. But Bundy might have more staying power here. And, again, he's not going to pitch to – uh, one something ERA, but he is right now. Secondary pitches for him right now are really special, Brian. And he's got three. And I mean, we're focusing a lot on the slider because he brought that back this year, and this can be a real special pitch. But his changeup and his curveball both can be really good. And I mean, there are nights when he will have four plus pitches, not two, but four. And that can really give him weapons to work with. Wellington or Caleb has a lot of pitches to call. He's commanding them. Uh, he's really, this is a kid who I learned on the farm years ago, is smart about pitching. And, you know, if you see Dylan's post-game interviews, he doesn't law, you know, talk long, expansive answers. He's kind of a you know, basic, quiet interview. But He's a very intelligent kid about pitching. He knows what's going on. He reads bats. He reads situations. And you couple that with smart catchers working with him and pitching coach and Buck to give him guidance. You really have something going here. And, you know, uh, who's to say he can't have a really great year where he might be a top 10 ERA pitcher and might pile up some wins. And um, this is the pitcher they hoped they were getting. Uh, back in 2011, and, you know, um, he's lived up. To me, he's lived up to the hype. The only time he hasn't is a long period of time when he was rehabbing. Uh, when I saw him healthy before his surgery, and now that he's removed from it and and most of his command is back, he's a special pitcher. Absolutely, and I, I think it makes it even that much more special when you know they have that those setbacks, and I, he seems like the kind of guy who – appreciates where he is now and the success that he's having based on hard work but also having to come back from those setbacks and having to recover from that surgery he seems like the guy who's not taking things for granted and really appreciating and seeing hey this hard work is paying off but I'm also very fortunate to be in this situation uh he's just a ground a well-grounded kid and I found it with uh, Dylan and to uh, Bobby too who I don't know anywhere near as well but I've interviewed they're just well-grounded kids who are um you know, they don't have an ego. I was shocked. Dylan Dylan Bundy called one of the greatest prep pitchers ever. And when I met him, this kid does not have an ego. And when he gets beat, he says, they, they kicked my butt. You know, he doesn't say, like we've heard other pitchers say, well, if I just had two pitches back, you know, I just, I just, uh, that could have been a great outing. He says, they kicked my butt. And so he's really savvy about the game. He respects his opponents. 
I couldn't be happier for him because, Brian, I, I can't tell you how many times I've interviewed him about injuries and rehabs and velocity and how hard are you throwing and what about this and will this be right? And he's just never – all he ever showed me was patience and courtesy and respect. And I'm happy to see him doing what he's doing. He's He's earned it. And, you know, good for Dylan. Um, and meanwhile, I think, um, you know, the one blemish in terms of the starting rotation, again, they had four straight quality starts starting with Ibaldo and, and ending with uh, with Kevin Gosman on Sunday. This is Gosman's second straight start where he just hasn't looked like himself. Um, is there any connection that you've seen? Is this just – is it too short, small of a pattern to really uh, – to truly diagnose or we just kind of see if he works through this? What's what's maybe kind of been the error of, of his ways recently? I think it is a little bit concerning, but I think for the long term he'll pull out of this, and obviously he has to. Uh, Ross Grimsley was on the radio this morning on 105.7 The Fan, a guy I work with and greatly respect his opinion. and He believes Kevin is having a hard time commanding the outer half against right-handed hitters. And if you look at the home run Mookie Betts hit, it, it, it went from the outer half and drifted into the end, right in his happy zone. And the slider he threw was just very poor. It was just hung there for uh, uh, Hanley Ramirez. So two very poorly located pitches that went exactly not where they were intended, and that's command. Um, and so quality of pitch, too. I mean, that slider really lacked anything, but it also lacked location. And so I think Gosman himself has talked about mechanics and, you know, some things he's got to get locked in. Um, and when, if he does, and when he does, which I think he will, the results will become better for him. Uh, got to be tro- you know, troubling to him, opening day starter, 7.50 ERA. He called himself out in the clubhouse, which, again, was good to see uh, Sunday afternoon amidst all the craziness in the postgame. Sure. So I think he can get it together. I mean, I think he can. And it's just, it's just Brian, it's just as I said to someone Sunday, who would have thought Oriole fans – would be looking forward to Miley starts and maybe not as much Kevin starts. Uh, we no one saw this coming, right? I'll tell you. And, and just a quick note on Miley. Um, I feel like Caleb Joseph. You know, obviously with the offensive struggles, um, you know the the no RBI still waiting to get that. He's 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 a very easy target for for fans to kind of uh, rag on a little bit. But I think he deserves. A, 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 a decent amount of credit for working with Miley, and, and, and they, those two seem to be just in such a good rhythm. They do, and Caleb is just really good. I mean, he's just really good back there. And the thing that's so funny to me, Brian, is I, I covered Caleb a lot on the farm, and all we ever heard was his defense wasn't good enough. Do you remember that? This kid's got a good bat, but his defense will never be good enough. And now he's considered this top defensive catcher. It's just, you know, it's just maybe it's good news. This is good news for someone like Ryan Mountcastle, who is hearing that now. Your defense isn't good enough. Maybe in five years he'll be a Gold Glove at shortstop. Who knows? Probably not. But I mean, Caleb did hear this. There's no question he heard it, and he's come so far. And he just kept working. And a credit to this kid who never gave up on his career when he thought everybody else had but him, and made the majors and is doing this. And so. He and Miley make a great team, and again, multiple pitches to work with. That's what's big here. Miley's slider has been huge to left and right-handed hitter, so back door, back foot, the right-handed hitter. Excellent command, change-up, and so this is Miley at his best. And again, this is not likely to last for Terry starts, but if he can pitch reasonably well, if he kept his ERA in the threes, Brian, I think that'd be incredible. If he kept it in the low fours, that would be something they could still win a lot of games with. 
And so it's looking like he has a chance to do that. And how big would that be? Again, the Orioles, it's, it's a great start. It's great to see the starting pitching doing mostly well. And Chris Tillman hasn't made an outing yet, so that's pretty impressive. Definitely. And Miley uh, made 11 starts last year for the Orioles, posted a 6.17 ERA through three starts so far, a nice little 1.89 ERA. Like you said, that's not likely to stay there, but uh, certainly going to enjoy it while it does, you know. So um, we talk about the success of the starting pitching, which for years, as you know, Steve, I mean, that's that's been it. You know, hey, the Orioles will be an incredible contender if dot, 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 the starting pitching, you know, performs up to snuff. And that's that's been it for as long as I can remember. The offense really hasn't been, uh, you know, kind of been an afterthought there. I feel like with from an offensive perspective, this is the kind of same makeup as last year. You know that they've they've got the power. I mean, pretty much consistently through the lineup, uh, they're still striving to increase that on base percentage. Uh, I, I think you know that term small ball, whether you like that term or not. You know the Orioles are certainly more a power based team, and I. That can lead to the inconsistencies. It can lead to the the two to nothing losses, but also the the twelve to five wins. Uh, but I think if that type of lineup combined with, like you said, starting pitching that is at least serviceable, if not progressing every day, that does put this team in position, especially when you throw in the uh, a great bullpen uh, to to go into the postseason and make a deep run into the postseason. You know, when they uh, played so much better, I guess in the second half of twenty fourteen, won ninety six games. Uh, starting pitching. You know, the offense wasn't incredible in the second half. The pitching just kept getting better and better and better. And look at how the team is really not hitting up to the level we expect so far, and yet 12-5 and five through the Boston series. That, that more than anything should tell you how critical starting pitching is. If you get that, other elements can be missing or not functioning at full capacity, and you can still be the best team in the American League in win percentage, which they are right now. And starting pitching means so much. And so here we go. Um, even with an outing like Gosman, two and two-thirds, and then the other day, uh, you know, look at where they are, and Tillman's not there. Gosman's pitching poorly. Tillman hasn't made a start. And the Orioles starting rotation are ERA going into Sunday's game was fourth best in the American League, essentially without Tillman and Gosman. And, Brian, there's no one. Me, you, or even Buck, who probably would have believed that on opening day if you'd said, listen, Gosman's ERA is going to be about eight. Tillman won't start, but your rotation will be one of the best in the league. We, we, would, have all said, we would have all said, okay, man, I'll have what you're having. You know, make, right. me, make mine a double. Uh, but that's where they are, and it just goes to show you that, you know, Asher, that was big. Jason Aquino, impressive. Uh, these are guys that they got for a song. And these, some of these small moves that sometimes we overlook or poo-poo, that's two big games as kids have pitched for the Orioles, and others have been in there helping too. Yeah, just jumping back to, to, to pitching, you mentioned Aquino. Um, you know, obviously a, a, a new name uh, for, for a lot of Oriole fans. Um, he, I thought he was terrific. You know, gave, gave, gave a quality start out there against, against a good, uh, good Boston team. What, what did you see from him? What did you like from, from Aquino there? Oh, man, pitchability in spades, which, which we've heard he has. And, and when I talked to people at Bowie last year, that's what they told me. Uh, 88 to 92, which is what we saw on the radar gun. Uh, but uh, ability to keep the ball down, which we saw in spring training. Uh, really command and locate pitches. Keep hitters off balance. 
He'll vary the speed on his fastball even. He'll throw some, I think, 88 on purpose and then throw 191, give it a little oomph, um, and just uh, adds and subtracts well. Caleb worked great with him. Caleb told me in the interview after the game, which which we ran on television and had in the web, his website on massinsports.com, that his breaking pitches, slider and curve, were not very consistent in that game. And essentially, it was a fastball change-up night with a few breakers thrown in, and yet he pitched so well. So that's encouraging. And I don't even know what you call Caleb tells me he has a curve and a slider, but sometimes I see slurve. I see like a hybrid pitch, a combination of the two. And Caleb says sometimes he throws it and he gets big drop on the ball and sometimes late bite. And one looks more slider, one looks more curve. Sometimes it looks like a hybrid, but it's effective. And the thing that Buck told us we didn't know is he's not afraid. In other words, Buck's read is he's, a, again, like some of these guys we've seen out there, like Tyler Wilson, he may not have all the all the uh, stuff of other pitchers, but he's not afraid to go come right at him and, and and so that was big for Aquino. And this is a sixth organization. This is a really good story that maybe we all will eventually catch up to. That he's he hasn't been given up on because mostly he's been traded. wasn't like teams just flat out released him, but they moved on from him. And the Orioles got him for cash considerations, which probably wasn't a big number figure. And um, the other thing, Brian, the Orioles did with him and their development people deserve credit here, is they did improve his breaking ball in his slider. Uh, while we didn't see that yet, uh, according to Caleb, and we will, uh, they did on the farm make some big improvements with him uh, last year at Bowie. I think that's that's definitely key because, as you know, a pitcher making his debut, you know, he's unfamiliar to a lot of the hitters, which can can uh, give the pitcher the advantage. It's a little bit different once they've got a few starts and and teams have some tape on them. Uh, but if you can throw in those new those new pitches or an, another curve to uh, to throw off the batters, that's that's certainly going to bode well for him. So, like you said, at, at, they knew what he they knew what he had. They hadn't seen him before, and they hadn't seen it in a game. But the scouting reports are obviously prevalent on the higher minor guys, and they probably even had some video on him. Uh, so they knew he was not a hard thrower, and he was going to mix and add and subtract. They kind of knew what they were facing. And so, but you're right. I can see it more, actually see it. That's different than just hear about it or see it on a double-A videotape. So it wasn't like they went out there expecting 95 and were like, oh, boy, this guy's got good uh, right. secondaries. We didn't know. They knew. But so that's impressive for Aquino. Um, and so, uh, you know, now we've got to find out if he'll get another chance because the fifth starter, when it comes up again, it potentially could be Tillman and not one of these guys as they, if they get him back. Certainly, and uh, you know, Tillman made made his uh, potentially his, his final rehab start. Uh, I, I pulling up the the box score here, but um, I know he gave up gave a few runs. Um, again, we always tell people don't overreact to to box scores, especially in rehab starts for these guys. The point is they want to progress, make sure they get get out of there healthy. Um, and does it does it look like to you uh, that that Tillman's kind of kind of ready to to come back and, and and join the fold? Well, I think we'll know a lot more after Thursday when he's supposed to pitch for Frederick at Potomac, um, and that will probably be uh, it's designed to be his longest outing yet. And let's see how that goes. And you hope to get some better results as you go, and the velocity ticks up. I mean, it could be, Brian, that he needs one or two more. And Buck has said if he does, they'll give it to him. They're not they're not wedded to May 2nd for Tillman. They're hopeful of May 2nd. But if he pitches Thursday and they go, ah, that was better, but I'd like him to have one or two more tune-ups before I throw him in 
against a major league team, then it's smart to do that because better to be a week or two later than we thought and have him back pitching more like we think he can pitch than be a little rusty or still searching for his curveball or something. So um, I don't think he's quite ready yet based on what I've heard, but that could change with Thursday's outing, or it could be he needs Thursday and one or two more. But hopefully it's pointing in the direction of him being back in the Oriole rotation sometime in May. And as we're kind of seeing, you know, especially with this new 10-day disabled list that I, it seems like managers love, and, and I, I kind of like it myself, um, that it's part of being a great manager is really juggling all of these 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 guys' health and making sure that, you know, your bench is adequate, but you also have enough guys in the bullpen, you know, should, should they should they be needed. And um, the Orioles are, are churning out some injuries there. You know, I wouldn't say they're they're more injury plagued than, than any other team to, to start the season, but they've got some guys banged up. Uh, Tillman coming back and uh, Joey Rickard, who I think he has a rehab assignment in Del Marva this evening. Um, uh, so that that hopefully he's getting over that that sprained left middle finger. I I do kind of worry if if Rickard is a little uh, um, a little injury prone. Hopefully that 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 doesn't be the case. I think once he gets fully healthy, they can uh, we'll get it. Hopefully see a nice uh, you know, steady stream of of a healthy Joey Rickard. But um, boy, it's just it just seems like such a, a tough thing and often an underlooked part of being a manager. We see what happens on the field all the time, and but it's really about making sure that, that roster is the best suited to tackle, you know, that, that game, that game's opponent, you know, and that could be a tough thing to do. wide um, thing that they do. And it's, it's, it's Buck, but yes, but it's also Dan. It's also Brian Graham on the farm. Uh, so many people, Brian, have to put plans in place to get a certain pitcher to a certain spot on the farm and make sure they adjust their roster there. And um, there's just a lot of things uh, that they do the planning and they, and the Orioles do it about as well as anybody in terms of, uh, you know, they just they just eke out every ounce of roster flexibility they can and have, and it's impressive how they how they do it, and they've 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 made the right calls this year. I mean, Asher against Toronto, it was like, wow, this will be interesting, and it worked. Aquino against the Red Sox, wow, there's a challenge. Well, it worked, so they picked the right spots. And the good thing about a manager in an organization is putting players where they can succeed. And so far, they're doing really well with that. Absolutely. And as we look forward to uh, the week ahead, again, the Orioles are in the midst of their, their home stay, and they're halfway done. Uh, took two out of three from Boston. Now they're welcoming uh, the Rays for the first time this season. So they'll have a three-game set at Baldwin Menez gets the start uh, for the series opener against Chris Archer, who has been uh, very good in his uh, his first couple starts here. So uh, we'll see how that series unfolds. And then the Orioles uh, head back on the road. More AL East baseball. Hey, got to love it. Uh, three games against the Yankees in New York. And then four-game series in Boston, which, as we talked about early on in the show, uh, I'm sure a lot of eyes will be on that. Um, I don't think anything will come of it, but it'll be certainly interesting to see. If nothing else, it's a great series against two uh, two division contenders. So, um, Steve, you got anything else pressing for this week? Anything else fans need to know before we uh, wrap it up? Nope, just daily keeping up with the grind of baseball, which I love. It's a challenge for reporters, too, man, to the, the physical and mental challenge of constantly cranking out copy and doing interviews and going on pregame shows and doing our podcast and all the things we juggle um you know it's kind of a nice challenge for us too and we can't look too far ahead because there's always so much to do in that kind of given day so keep it going keep the fun going and you know the orioles uh, uh all these games against the al east as it turns out it's worked out because they're playing well they hit the ground running 
And, you know, if you're going to be playing well, why not be facing the East? So that's what they're doing right now. Certainly. And only serving better as the as the season goes on. So that's it from us fans. So we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Make sure to check us out at MassInSports.com, Steve Molesky, Brian Eller, and make sure to subscribe to the Yardbird Podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Until next week, we'll see you.